Hello, welcome to another edition of our essential podcast on everything finance-related for small business owners. This is Business Class Money Minutes, powered by American Express. I'm Nigel Cassidy, broadcaster and business presenter, and alongside me, the small business writer who always makes a big impact, Bex. Thank you, Nigel. I'm Bex Ben Calendar. It's great to be back again. And this time we're going to try and oil those unseen cogs that keep all businesses turning. We're all about the supply chain. Now, Bex, I must admit that at first I was thinking that a whole podcast about supply chain management, I mean, it seemed a bit overblown for your average smallish enterprise, uh, you know, just selling goods or services to people. It sounds like it could be expensive, maybe with fancy consultants involved. But then I was thinking about how Brexit and the COVID-19 pandemic have just thrown a spanner in the works for so many businesses and that supply chain has become absolutely crucial. I just wonder what you've noticed on your travels, uh, whether firms are having to rethink what they buy in and how they ship all the stuff around. Well, one of the things that I've noticed is that some companies are looking closer to home for their suppliers and working with more domestic suppliers and they're reaping some unexpected benefits. And we've got an example in mind. Well, yes. So take Mindful Chef, which supplies healthy recipe boxes around the UK. The company sources nearly all its produce from British farmers, giving them more control over logistics, fresher fruit and vegetables, and, of course, complete transparency over how things are reared or grown. So we'll be hearing from the Mindful Chef's co-founder, Robert Grigrand, today to talk us through how they cracked the supply chain conundrum. Of course, not all businesses can look to UK products alone, so we'll be serving up another excellent guest, Dr Sam Roscoe of the University of Sussex Business School MBA programme, and he's got some top advice for those whose supply chains stretch out across the world. So stay with us as we discover how you can slice your costs and save some hard cash by sorting out your supply chain, and what you can do when the inevitable disruption strikes. And when I say savings, we're not talking about small amounts here, aren't we, Bex? Well, no, there's potentially massive savings hidden in your supply chain. Business consultant Oliver Wyman calculated that focusing on your supply chain can reduce the cost of doing business by up to 25%. So that's more than double what you might expect from other money-saving or efficiency drives. And, according to Deloitte, around 8 out of 10 firms with above-average supply chains saw higher revenue as a result. So it's all not to be sniffed at. Well, I think that's enough stats for now. Let's hear from our guests. OK, I'm absolutely delighted that Robert Grigrand is with us today. Robert started Mindful Chef with two Devon school friends back in 2015, and it has now delivered almost 10 million meals to UK households. So Andy Murray, Victoria Pendleton and Will Greenwood are all massive fans of the brand. But anyway, enough gushing. Welcome, Robert. Do you mind, just for listeners who might not be partaking of your excellent boxes, just giving us a little overview of what the business does and what's in the recipe box? Sure. So we deliver all the ingredients to make healthy eating easy. And that's kind of the mission of the company and what we what we set out to do so what we deliver as part of our recipe box service is we deliver all the fresh ingredients that you need to make healthy evening meals at home typically people will order two three or four evening meals uh, as part of a delivery and each of those recipes contains about 10 fresh ingredients and we deliver all the spices and the, the fresh herbs and um, any oils and vinegars that you might need to make the recipe along with a really simple to follow recipe card 
And so in any given week in our warehouse, we're handling about 400 different items and repackaging them up for customers to enjoy at home. And it seems to me like you've got a kind of supply chain nightmare there. You've got all the elements that most people would have bringing in ingredients, but yours go off, they don't all arrive at the same time, and you can't make the recipe if just one doesn't turn up. So just talk a bit more about that complexity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, that's a good, um, a good word for it. I think when we started the business five years ago, we very much kind of approached it with the naivety and you know optimism that you need as an entrepreneur to to say, well, how hard can it be? We're just putting vegetables in a box, and then as you as you say, you start to realise, oh wow, well, customers want lots of choice, so you need to have lots of different recipes on offer for them to choose from. Each of those recipes has different ingredients. We have ambient ingredients like spices fairly long shelf life but we don't want to hold thousands and thousands of them and then we have our like fresh produce you have different temperature regimes you have different shelf life the way that we've kind of I guess approached the supply chain problem is through one of sort of planning backwards from when the customer receives their delivery what's the customer expectation for things like shelf life how the product arrives how do we make that a really fantastic customer experience and then kind of back engineered our supply chain to say okay well if we're thinking about doing that and we want to deliver this customer experience that's better than shopping in a supermarket how do we do it problem with recipe boxes is that you have to bring all the bits of the recipe together and deliver them to the customer at the same time. You have to have 100% availability, else your 20p spice pod, if it's missing, it'll ruin a 15 pound meal for the customer. And so to get that customer experience right, you have to bring all the bits together. And that's why we've engineered our supply chains to be quite different, to operate with both sort of shorter food miles, faster from the supplier into us, and quite often using sort of dedicated transport routes to make sure that nothing can slip along the way and be accidentally left in a DC somewhere. Just your explanation of this is sort of bringing me out in a cold sweat, the amount of complexity involved. And presumably you also bring ingredients in from overseas or are you trying to be as local, as British as possible to reduce that complexity? So I mean, when we set out, we always kind of said that one of the things we wanted to do was to support British farmers, buy local and you know, really bring in as much you know fresh produce as possible from the UK. And that often in, involves buying seasonally. Um, and making sure that our recipes and our product offering are tailored around what's growing and what's available in the UK. Albeit, not everything grows at all times of year. So we do import certain things. So for example, now in December, we're importing things like rocket that comes up through through the farm that grows our rocket in the Vale of Evesham for sort of nine months of the year for, or eight months of the year. For four months of the year, they have a partner farm in Italy who grow the rocket for us. And we kind of taken the decision that whilst you can do anything in this country, if you want to heat greenhouses, it's actually better for the environment to let Mother Nature do the work to heat the air and heat the atmosphere for you and then to to bring it up by road freight. You know, Brexit obviously has a big impact on how we view that um, supply chain and the impact that it might have on that supply chain into January. So actually, we've done a lot of recipe re-engineering, especially for the first sort of three or four weeks of the new kind of regime where it's all very unknown to say, well, actually, we don't necessarily need to use rocket in this recipe. The customers might 
think that rocket would be a better choice but actually we could use curly kale or something which grows in abundance in the uk in january and so if we don't need to use a product that's coming that's grown overseas at this time of year we've swapped it out for something that that's growing you know more locally I'm just wondering whether you could just tell me a little bit more about how the business reconciles the the ultimate in terms of quality and uh, supplies and the practicalities of making a product that you can sell at a price that people will uh, will pay for. Because, I mean, there must, must be a fundamental limit, even for people who are really keen on uh, the, the most wonderful food. Yeah, and I think so there's, there's two parts to this. I think one you know, we found a lot of cost reduction really by sort of opening up to the suppliers. And, you know, when you sit down together and say, we want to work with you, we love your product. It's expensive. This is how our business works. We can, you know, this is exactly what our customer wants. This is the delivery day, you know, requirements that we need, the packaging requirements that we need, um, some of the ethical standards that you must adhere to you then can really understand about how their business works and quite often when you start to sit down on an individual basis with a certain supplier you can find synergies that you didn't realize existed they might already be delivering um the you know the day after you need it into somewhere else nearby or they might already have a form of packaging that's recyclable or or compostable or whatever it is that they've developed for somebody else um, but because you didn't ask for it straight up, they didn't sort of offer it. And we found like lots of savings that can be found just by having that relationship and building the kind of the long term story for us. You know, we did 16 million of sales last year. We'll do 51 million of sales this year. We want to do 70 million of sales next year. And so we want to bring our supply base on that journey with us. And so for some of them, that will mean investing in our sort of supply at this stage to kind of be the natural partner and a really strong friend of the firm as we scale and, and grow bigger. I can ask you the supply chain systems that you use. Did you yourself, as a company at The Mindful Chef, develop those? And how do you use them to monitor the relationship between, between all the stuff coming in, going out, the timings? And so how would you revisit all that to see if you are actually uh, running efficiently? We've developed all of our sort of supply chain technology in-house it's probably the most complex part of the business so the the holy grail of customer experience looks like unlimited choice with near you know immediate delivery okay well how do we improve our service along along those lines and so we rely on an in-house sort of forecasting model to really try and give us an accurate forecast of what people will order as a group as a collective of customers on any given day and how expensive was it to set up that forecasting tech? And is that accessible for a small business or do you have to reach a certain scale before it makes sense? So, f I mean, for us, like we've done with pretty much everything, it starts in spreadsheets. So it's very much about designing the minimum viable product, giving it a go and then refining it and analysing how it's working. How, you know, how is it working for the business? How is it working for the supplier? Are we getting it right? But yeah, I think my advice to my advice to anyone just starting out would be don't think that you need some fancy, expensive system to help you with lots of these things. You can just start small. You know, you can create your purchase orders in Word. You can run a few forecasts off in Excel and just email them to the, the suppliers. Obviously, COVID-19 impacted many supply chains. Did it affect yours at all? And if so, how did you how did you battle those challenges? 
Yeah, so COVID had the most enormous impact on our customer numbers more than our our supply chain, although the two are obviously completely intrinsically interlinked. So we went from, at the start of March, we were doing about 12,500 deliveries each week. By the end of March, we were doing 35,000 deliveries a week. So we had the most enormous uptick in customer numbers. And I guess the supply chain is the final piece of that. How do you triple the business in two weeks? Obviously, none of that was forecast. And that's where we really had to lean on suppliers to sort of help us out. Some of them came knocking and said, we have capacity, we'd like to help. And others, we were kind of having to be very inventive to say, oh, I bet you that person, I bet you that restaurant group buys a lot of tomatoes. I wonder who, who supplies them. Let's give them a call and say, hey, we'll take them all. The supply chain was all over the place for some months, to be honest. But for us as a firm, we wanted to keep our doors open and we wanted to try and you know, help people buy as much fresh fresh food as possible when it was a difficult time for those who were vulnerable or shielding or working for the NHS. So we sort of explained that to our customer base and said, this is how we're going to approach this problem. It will result in disruption. There are going to be lots of substitutions. You'll get notes, you know, where we haven't got chopped tomatoes, you'll be getting fresh tomatoes and some tomato puree and the recipes will be changed to use the ingredients that we've got available, but sort of bear with us and, and be patient. And, and, and they were. And so I think we, we would do the same again. wonder why I'm feeling so hungry, Pex. Clearly, this is a business uh, which uh, ensures that its values reflect everything that it does. And uh, who'd have thought an entire supply chain would uh, be sort of tested against uh, uh, the goals and aims of the business? Yeah, I think you've really summed that up well. And, and the fact that Rob and the rest of the team, they think about what the customer experience needs to be and what they want to see in their box, how they want to experience the brand. And then they work out all the supply chain stuff backwards from there. I think that was a great piece of advice too. And I think one of the really big takeaways for anyone listening will be that forecasting model. And they still do it all on Excel. Yeah, it all starts with a spreadsheet. Anybody can do it. We're back in a jiffy when we'll turn to a supply chain guru, Dr. Dr. Sam Roscoe. We'll be hearing how focusing on where, how and when your goods are delivered can save you a pretty penny. And what to do if the unexpected happens and it still all goes pear-shaped. Don't go away. No matter the size of your business, American Express has your back. Our range of business cards gives you greater control over your cash flow, so you'll have the flexibility to respond to change and chase opportunities. Plus, you can earn rewards from your day-to-day spend and invest it back into your business. Visit americanexpress.com slash uk slash business card to learn more. Terms apply. Welcome back to Business Class Money Minutes. I'm Bex Ben Callender. And I'm Nigel Cassidy. And today's episode's all about finding savings in your supply chain. We just heard from Mindful Chef how Brexit and the COVID-19 pandemic are driving some British firms to find partners closer to home. But of course, many small firm supply chains are developed piecemeal and might branch off into other countries, the EU perhaps. So how do you take control when deliveries get delayed? 
Well, Dr Sam Roscoe is a senior lecturer in operations management. He convenes the University of Sussex Business School MBA programme and leads research in this field. We've heard about a pretty sophisticated business with supply chain at its heart. A lot of other firms are, let's be honest, a bit chaotic. A typical business with a kind of mixed picture in its supply chain. What's it like and how do you begin unpicking it and making it work better? I mean, there's a number of things that can be done in order to improve the supply chain, depending on the industry that you're in. I think one of the main things that we've seen over the past, I would say probably year in particular with with COVID, but also over the past four years with Brexit, is that a lot of company supply chains have been developed around finding low cost sources and focusing on efficiency. So buying from from the lowest cost supplier, typically in in low wage economies and bringing those goods into the UK to sell to UK customers. And that is across the board from large, medium or or small enterprises. What we've seen though with Brexit, also with the US-China trade war, with COVID, with natural disasters, is that there are supply chain disruptions coming fast and furious and and companies are really having to wake up to the fact that cost and efficiency can no longer be the standard way of doing business. Companies today need to focus on building robustness and resilience in their supply chains and prioritizing that over a low cost sourcing model. And in particular, if we look at what's happened with COVID, um, COVID is, is unique in terms of supply chain disruptions because it affected supply and demand at the same time. And you can't say that about many supply chain disruptions. Brexit, for example, will affect supply, absolutely, but not necessarily demand. What we had with COVID was this huge spike in demand for all types of consumer goods, especially groceries and and pharmaceutical products linked to the virus. So what changes are small businesses making? And if they haven't made any changes, what changes should they be making and quickly? Small businesses need to make sure that they have redundancies in the supply chain. And by that, I mean, you can't be locked into a particular supplier in a particular region of the world. Um, Coronavirus has has shut down manufacturing in, in countries on a rolling basis. Small businesses need to have dual sources of supply, multiple sources of supply, and those need those sources of supply need to be spread out around the world. So when a second or third wave of the virus strikes, you're able to move your sources of supply around the world in, in order to maintain stock. The other issue is, is making sure that there's also a local contingent of supply wherever possible. So you're able to draw on, on local producers of, of the products that you're, that you're needing and you can bring those into your stores uh, as quickly as possible. And can you talk a little bit, Sam, about the processes that you need to set up to actually do that? What you can do is you can maybe have 80% of your products purchased from one particular supplier and have a backup or a a secondary supplier that you give 20% of your volume to. That secondary supplier may be a little bit more expensive um, or may be in a different part of the world. But by having 80% of your business with a primary supplier and then a backup supplier, when a disaster strikes such as COVID, um, you're able to, to move your volumes in between your different suppliers. What's important there though is, is making sure that you have relationships with your primary, secondary and third suppliers 
where you can actually go out and see their operations to make sure that they're operating you know, ethically and sustainably and able to, to give you the volume of products that you need. And at the same time, you have to have an understanding with those suppliers that you will quickly move capacity at any time that a, a supply chain disruption occurs. And Sam, you work with some really big brands, household names. What are some of the learnings that you've seen within those businesses that you think small businesses could benefit from? Well, what can you give them, the kind of nuggets that only big businesses seem to be doing, but small businesses could? What small businesses can definitely do is, is focus on treating their suppliers as part of their own business and making sure that there is liquidity and working capital within the supply chain. If small businesses want to maintain relationships with their suppliers and be at the top of the list for deliveries, what I would recommend is that instead of paying their suppliers in 30 days, they pay them in 15 days or 10 days. And they're, they're making sure that the suppliers have liquidity and, and they have access to, to working capital so they can continue to source those raw materials and, and deliver products into you. And by building up that relationship with your suppliers, that can move you up the list of priorities where you're competing with, with the large multinationals who tend to be at the top of suppliers list just because of volume. But if you act responsibly and ethically and you pay your suppliers on time and quickly, that moves you up the priority list. We mentioned at the beginning, there is this figure from some consultants, Oliver Wyman, probably not the only people who've made such studies, but they calculated focusing on your supply chain could reduce the cost of doing business by up to 25%. That does sound an awful lot. I mean, that's more than double, apparently, what you might expect from most efficiency drives or changes that you might make to your business. Do you think that's optimistic that uh, streamlining your supply chain could save you up to a quarter of your costs of doing business? No, I don't, I don't think that's optimistic at all. Um, I think that's a very real number. And, and one example that I'd like to pick up on is, is this idea of forecasting. So a lot of companies will have quite elaborate forecasts. And the reason why forecasts are developed is because of very long lead times. So if I place an order with a company in China and it takes that uh, Chinese supplier two months or three months to deliver me a product, I have to have a forecast that is, is three months long. The further that I forecast, the more forecast inaccuracy I will have. So the argument there is because I have inaccurate forecasts, I have to hold more inventory. I have to have more stock on, on, in my supply chain because if something goes wrong, I don't want to run out of stock. So by, being, by shrinking your supply chain and by having suppliers that are closer to home and having shorter lead times, you can have a shorter forecast and a more accurate forecast, which means that you don't have to have as much inventory in the supply chain. So you can have that cash to spend on things like marketing or on investing or sp spending it on research and development instead of having it tied up in inventory. So if you source locally from the UK or, or even from the EU and your lead times are a week instead of three months, you hold less inventory and that can bring down your, your total supply chain costs. And do you have any predictions for Brexit? What is, what's going to be hard to get hold of? The difficulty that we're going to have with Brexit, and we've already actually seen this a couple of weeks ago when, when the French border control tried to trial the truck drivers giving in uh, paperwork and passports, and there were already queues of five miles um, going through Dover. And the reality is, is, is that's what we're going to see come January 1st. You're going to have, I would say, two weeks, three weeks, to a month, and maybe even longer of, of queues as 
um, small business owners, as even large business owners, begin to figure out exactly what documentation do they need. You know, what are the origin of my goods? What what are my customs declaration requirements? The problem with that is all of the products that we rely on are going to be stuck in those queues. So it's not going to be one particular product that that is going to run out. So when things begin, begin to get snarled up at the ports, it has a knock-on effect for all of the products that we bring in. Saying that, however, companies have had a long time to prepare for Brexit. And that's why it's different than COVID. COVID came very quickly and shut everything down right away. Companies have been very aware of Brexit and they've been building stockpiles. And I think most sensible companies have done that. Well, Sam's given us a lot to think about there, Bex. And I suppose the central point that he made was that uh, it's no good just thinking about bringing goods in from the cheapest supply. It's about getting robustness into your systems. That's it. And also being flexible. So knowing that you have multiple suppliers that you can lean on at different times, especially if if, if one territory or one industry is in a bit of trouble. Okay, well, let's bring the Mindful Chefs co-founder, Robert Grigran, back. I guess, Robert, even for a seasoned uh, business like yours, uh, there was a lot in what Sam was saying there. Yeah, absolutely. We only started embarking on the 80-20 dual sourcing post-COVID, and we and we now do that kind of the the dual sourcing across lots of our lots of our lines. And you talked a little bit earlier, Rob, about how you had a very resilient supply chain and that helped you during the COVID-19 pandemic. Do you feel like that same resilience will help you during Brexit? And has anything that Sam said struck a chord with you in terms of steps you might take? So I think that whilst whilst when COVID hit and the disruption from the supply chain was very real and very quick, this is just as challenging because whilst we've known the Brexit date is coming for a long time, we don't really know whether that rocket coming in from Italy will wait at the border an extra 24 hours, an extra 48 hours. And I think that's why we're choosing to substitute out some of our products to minimise the risk. So just picking up on that... Uh... Dr. Sam Roscoe, are there any, uh, is there any advice you could give to companies who are potentially facing these unknown situations? I mean, other than this very good advice we have, Robert, of kind of levelling with your customers and preparing them for changes. I think um, Robert's point about substitution wherever possible and having a contingency plan where you're able to use different components is excellent advice. I also think wherever possible, looking for local sources of supply, and those don't necessarily have to be your primary supplier, but you could have them as a secondary or tertiary supplier that can be switched on as and when you need them. If we do see big delays at at the ports and at the borders, that you're able to quickly move your capacity to these local suppliers wherever possible. And I would would encourage SMEs to, to be looking at that. And Sam, you mentioned earlier that we're moving away from just focusing on the cheapest product when it comes to the supply chain. But are there any opportunities to look for cost savings even when, you know, we are looking closer to home? Maybe we are we are looking for multiple suppliers. Is, is it possible that we don't have to sacrifice margin as a result? I think they, the two go hand in hand. So my argument is the more flexible and responsive that you can be in your supply chain, 
the better able you are to take advantage of big spikes in demand. So you, if you have very short supply chains where you can bring products in very quickly and deliver them to the customer's door, you can very quickly take advantage of those spikes in demand. So you get a bonus in terms of, of sales. At the same time, by having shorter supply chains, you carry less inventory and less stock, and that brings down your inventory carrying costs. And it means that you have more working capital available because it's not tied up in inventory. So that money can be spent, as I said, in, in other areas. The issue with this low cost model um, of overseas sourcing is that it only focuses primarily on the cost of labor. If you look at your supply chain as the total landed cost or the total delivered cost of your products, and you really take into account how much does it cost you to, to hold your products? What is your forecast accuracy? What are your delivery costs? And then what are the upsides from being more responsive to demand? In my opinion, you'll probably find that that is actually cheaper than sourcing from low-cost centers overseas. And I think coronavirus has really told us that there's a lot of money to be saved by actually working with your competition. You're not giving away any of your competitive advantage by sharing supply chain assets. Your competitive advantage is in your brand. Your competitive advantage is in how you relate with customers. Your supply chain is what allows you to deliver on that competitive advantage for most industries. So I would argue that coronavirus has showed us that we can really begin to, to share our supply chains between competitors and also between industries where if companies do come together, there's a lot of cost savings to be had there as well. I think coronavirus is, is basically forced us to rethink our understanding of supply chains. Companies now realize that they have to move away from this low-cost, efficient, lean supply chain model towards a resilient, responsive, and an agile supply chain model that is focused on being flexible and quickly adaptable to supply chain disruptions. These are just going to keep happening, whether it's the coronavirus or whether it's a geopolitical disruption. Companies have to begin to realize that it's no point having a low-cost supply chain if you're out of business. So the point there is, is if you're flexible and agile and you can stay in business, that allows you to be competitive from 2021 and beyond. Wow, well, thanks, Robert and Sam. So much positivity there, Bex, out of uh, everything that's been thrown at small businesses or indeed businesses of any size this year. Uh, innovation is getting people through. Yeah, absolutely. Out of adversity, as they say. And it looks like one of the great learnings that has come out of this year is to build flexibility into the supply chain. And that's come from both Sam and Rob and all the businesses that they, that they speak to and work with, that you need to be able to flex your supply chain to the needs of the customer and the trading environment. Yes, and of course, you, you're mitigating risk because uh, you're already anticipating what might go wrong and then what you would do uh, if it does. Um, sharing assets is another thing. Even with rivals, which was crazy to hear, but it's amazing that's happening. Yes, well, because they were saying how the uh, logistics companies have done it, and there's a lesson there for everybody. Working together does not necessarily mean uh, giving business to other people. I suppose overall, this is all about uh, moving from uh, kind of buying everything in at the lowest possible cost to a supply chain that looks rather different. 
Yeah, I love that quote from Sam. There's no point having a low-cost supply chain if you're out of business. I think that will resonate with everyone. So, massive thanks to both our guests, Robert Grigran, founder at The Mindful Chef, and Dr Sam Roscoe, Senior Lecturer in Operations Management at the University of Sussex Business School. And that's supply chains. I hope you found it useful. If you are a small business owner looking for the latest trends and insights, then American Express has a world of content for you. Yes, you should check out the Business Class Trends and Insights Hub for everything related to small business finances at americanexpress.com slash uk slash business. Business class. And don't forget to subscribe to Business Class Money Minutes. You should find it wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an edition. But until next time, from Bex and me, it's goodbye and take care. Bye. Bye.